Hello and welcome to another episode of My Favorite Trees. My name is Thomas and I love trees. March is a big month for the American South, especially the states of Florida and South Carolina. On March 3rd, 1845, Florida was admitted to the Union as the 27th U.S. state, while on March 26th, 1776, South Carolina declared itself independent from Great Britain. So to celebrate the history of these states, I'd like to look at the connections they've made to the state tree they both share, the sable palm. Also called the cabbage palm or the palmetto, many botanists will argue that this plant does not meet their definitions of what a tree is. You yourself may have seen some fun fact on the internet explaining how palms are not actually trees because they have no branches and they don't exhibit what is called secondary growth, the ability for its stem to get wider like a tree trunk otherwise would. Here's the thing though, I don't care. There is no single simple answer for what makes a tree a tree. The whole first episode of this podcast is called What Are Trees? because it does take a little explaining. My personal background is in ecology, the study of ecosystems, where things live, and how different forms of life interact with each other. In the field of ecology, you're more likely to hear that palms are trees because they fill the exact same role any other tree would where it lives. And at this point, it's too late to back down on this matter. On this tree podcast, I've now made more episodes about palm trees than I have about oak trees which are everyone's favorite tree. Both guests I've had on this show picked oaks as their favorite tree. America picked the oak as its national tree. And yet, despite both South Carolina and Florida being home to over a dozen oak species, including the incredibly popular white oak and southern live oak, they both picked the sable palm to be the tree to represent the culture of their people and the identity of their state. Let's take a closer look at why they did so. To be tree or not to be tree, that is the question. Whatever a palm is, these plants are found in the overall palm family, known scientifically as Aracaceae. This family is home to 2,600 species of palms. I could not imagine being part of a family that big. But no doubt each of us has an incredible number of relatives in the world, even if we don't consider them closely related to us. We're just used to breaking things like that up into smaller sections. The same thing happens in the palm family. There is a subfamily of palms known as corophoids, or more commonly, fan palms. These are the palms whose leaves have that iconic fan shape, like when you picture some guy in a toga reclining and being fed grapes and having a big palm leaf fanned on him. Those leaves would come from a palm in this subfamily. Most of the iconic palms in Southern California are fan palms. The date palm, hugely significant in Middle Eastern culture, is another fan palm. So is the sable palmetto. Sable is the name of the genus, or much smaller group, where our topic tree is found. We're not sure where the name sable came from, likely from Mexico or maybe South America, 
and we're not sure what it would translate to other than just being the name for this plant. There are 17 species in the sable genus, but we are focusing on a single species known scientifically as sable palmetto. Yes, the Latin name is exactly the same as its common name. It just doesn't get easier than that. That species name, palmetto, means little palm, which to me feels like a misnomer. Because these trees regularly grow to be over 30 feet or 9 meters tall, and in rare cases can exceed 70 feet or 21 meters in height. That ain't little. As suggested by its subfamily background, the leaves are fan-shaped, also known as palmate, like the palm of your hand. This leaf shape is why they are called palm trees. But they're much bigger than your hand. They can easily grow as long as a human being is tall, 5 or 6 feet. Like any other palm, its leaves only grow at the very top. It doesn't sprout branches off the side. This is another reason some don't call them trees, because they believe that growing branches is what trees are supposed to do. And these leaves are evergreen. They stay on all year long. I honestly don't want to imagine a palm tree that tall without leaves, so I'm happy about that. Evergreen doesn't mean that the leaves don't eventually fall off, just that there's always some green leaves in the canopy. Individual fronds typically stay on for around three years, and when they are shed, they leave some bits behind that form what is called a bootjack trunk. The trunk of the sable palm is relatively smooth from the base up until you get to where those leaves have been shed. Where old leaves have peeled off, there is left a triangle or diamond-shaped bit of woody material sticking out of the trunk. It's the rough, pokey texture that you may associate with the trunks of some palm trees. It's thought that the shape of these leftover leafy woody bits is similar to a tool that helps you put on and take off boots, called a bootjack. Southerners know exactly what I'm talking about. Also up in the canopy, you'll occasionally find some sable palm flowers. They form as a cluster of little white and yellow guys. I always feel like they look like you know, just stalks of wheat hanging out there. Most important about them is that when they're pollinated, typically by various insects, they produce sable palm fruits. Because of their relatively close relationship with the date palm, it's valid to describe them as being quite similar to dates, kind of like long, dark olives. They're mostly seed, though, with not a whole lot of that fleshy, fruity layer. I'd still love to try one someday. So we know that they grow in Florida and South Carolina, but where else? The sable palmetto can be found growing naturally from the very southern tip of the North Carolina coast all along the Atlantic shores and stretching along the shores of the Gulf of Mexico. They also grow on a number of Caribbean islands, including Cuba and the Bahamas. They can really only tolerate warm places near water. Which is very interesting because sable palm fossils have been found all over the northern hemisphere, including sections of western Europe, Japan, and U.S. states along the Rocky Mountains. Is it possible that these trees used to be more cold-tolerant? Maybe, but it's more likely that these fossil records demonstrate a warmer climate across our globe eons past. As much as I would love to visit the paleobotanical world of yore, I must stick to the southeast to find these plants now. But across the southeast coast, these incredible plants have become an iconic feature in the landscape as well as in local stories.
For longer than Florida and South Carolina were a part of the United States, this sable palm has been incredibly important to the people who have lived in those regions. Some of the primary uses for the plant include eating the fruits, despite its low yield, and grinding the seeds into a flour that is incorporated into other foodstuffs, as well as made into medicines. This is one of those situations in which indigenous peoples used a certain plant or plant part for a number of healing treatments, only for modern science to argue that those treatments have little effect in the face of our current medicines. For instance, some will argue that ground sable palm seeds could effectively help with prostate issues, but Western medicine just isn't convinced. In regards to more practical purposes, the palm fronds were used for weaving baskets and other containers, as well as thatching for the roofs of structures. The trunks of these trees were used as the main construction material for many structures as any other wood would. But one of the most iconic uses for the sable palm was the extracting and eating of what is called heart of palm. If you've seen cans of this stuff in grocery stores or heard of heart of palm salad, the sable palm is one of the sources of that ingredient. This ingredient has been considered a little controversial because to get some, you have to kill the tree. Heart of palm is found in a part of the plant known as the apical meristem, or the terminal bud. This is the very top of the tree where new growth occurs. You remove this, and the tree can't grow anymore. But that's what you need to do. Cut off the top three feet of the sable palm and peel away the layers until you get to the core of this stem section. That core is the heart of the palm. I've seen some claim that it doesn't make sense for this to have been a traditional food source of native tribes due to the tools required to extract it. But most other sources, including the Seminole tribe's own website, insist that they've been harvesting and eating heart of palm since before the days of Columbus. Not every use of a tree has to be traditional to be important to a group of people, though. One of the most significant ways these Seminole people made use of the sable palm didn't exist until the 1800s, a kind of building called a chicky. I mentioned before how parts of the sable palm were used as building materials historically, but long ago it was more common for the Seminole people of Florida to build log cabin structures as their homes. That all changed when Andrew Jackson was elected President of the United States and signed into law the Indian Removal Act of 1830. This was the piece of legislation that allowed U.S. troops to forcibly relocate upwards of around 100,000 Native Americans from their homes in the eastern part of the country to less desirable lands out west. This journey has since been known as the Trail of Tears, considering many made the journey in chains and over 10,000 people perished along the way. The Seminole people heavily resisted being part of this tragedy, and they did so by effectively fleeing from U.S. soldiers. This new life of constantly being on the run made it to where their previous style of log cabin homes was wholly impractical, so a new home design was developed. These chickies, as they are called, are easily movable huts made from the logs of cypress trees with roofs thatched with sable palm fronds. The chicky was a necessary part of Seminole life for the better part of a decade, long enough to ingrain itself as part of their culture. Nowadays, chicky is the Seminole word for house. Ironically enough, the white soldiers that unjustly pursued this native tribe had their own reasons for loving the exact same tree, reasons that date back to the Revolutionary War 60 years prior. General understanding of the U.S. War for Independence usually revolves around conflict in the northern colonies. 
You may have heard of the Battles of Lexington and Concord in Massachusetts, or the Battles of Saratoga in New York, or the Battle of Bunker Hill, also in Massachusetts. But there was an oft-neglected Southern campaign that, had the British been more successful, would have put a significant amount of pressure on the North. One such battle in the Southern campaign took place in 1776 at Fort Sullivan near the coastal city of Charleston, South Carolina. Nine British ships were preparing their assault, and there was not much time for the American militia to build a proper defense structure. They did the best they could with a relatively puny wall, made only with sable palm trunks and reinforced only with earth. What the British didn't realize is that the trunks of these trees regularly withstood the strengths of hurricanes, and they were certainly strong enough to handle 18th century cannonballs. Thanks to the surprising resiliency of this spontaneous fort, as well as the treacherous nature of the local inlets and islands surrounding it, the British withdrew 12 hours later with nearly six times the casualties of the defending American militia. And these South Carolinians, having just declared independence a few months prior, had found a new symbol to represent the burgeoning identity of their people, the sable palm. These days, the only symbols South Carolinians need are that tree and a crescent moon. Which technically isn't a moon, it's just a crescent shape that actually references a piece of armor that protects the throat called a gorget. A fun tidbit that is commonly taught in South Carolina grade schools that may not be common knowledge anywhere else. Regardless, the sable palm can be found adorning South Carolina's state flag, their state seal, their license plates, and their state quarters. The two biggest universities in the state, University of South Carolina and Clemson University, both have the sable palm on their official logos and seals, despite the fact that neither campus is anywhere near where sable palms grow. But it doesn't matter because all of South Carolina is known as the Palmetto State. Meanwhile, Florida likewise leans heavily on the image of the palmetto, or cabbage palm as they usually call it, and has selected it for their state tree and featured it on their state seal and state flag. Though that last inclusion is merely because their flag's design includes the state seal. Florida's history with the sable palm lacks the same fanaticism found in its neighbor to the north, but makes up for it in controversy and drama. Such controversy began with the state seal design developed when Florida achieved statehood in the mid-1800s. A state seal is a circular emblem printed on official government documents and properties and typically features a combination of a few different symbols that are said to represent the resources and commerce of that particular state. And for over a hundred years, Florida's state seal featured a palm tree. But rather than a native sable palm, the design more accurately depicted the non-native coconut palm. This was but one inaccuracy found in the early design, though, alongside a Seminole woman wearing clothing more traditionally worn by Plains Indian tribes, as well as mountains. Even if coconut palms can be grown in Florida, and Seminole women may choose to wear whatever they wish, there are most certainly not mountains in this state. But the fact that the palm in the seal was a coconut palm may not have been a detail that was easily noticed by the common Floridian. This idea became rather apparent in the 1930s when Florida was debating what to designate as their official state tree. Though not quite as dramatic as the state tree debate that raged for decades in Kentucky, this dispute largely grew due to major cultural differences between northern and southern Florida. 
There's a saying that when you're in Florida, the more north you go, the more southern you get. Culturally, northern Florida is more akin to the rest of the American South, and so pushed for the state tree to be a southern pine species, known as the slash pine. Meanwhile, southern Florida has more of that Florida feel that tourists expect and is home to more palm trees than any other part of the southeast. So naturally, they pushed for the sable palm. One of the arguments the Florida Federation of Garden Clubs made to promote the sable palm was that it was already on their state seal, so why not make their relationship with it more official? Except that an entirely different palm was on the state seal. They also tried to gain more attention to their cause by writing in the newspaper that the sable palm was surely soon to be their state tree, and they wondered what South Carolina thought of that. South Carolina, despite their long, legendary relationship with the palmetto, had until this point deemed it wholly unnecessary to go through all the legislative hassle of doing the whole state tree thing. But the idea of Florida potentially taking their iconic symbol away from them led them to pass the notion through the state house in less than a month. My editor, a South Carolina native, has asked me to add that this is surely the quickest any decision has been made in her state's entire history. And after the lightning-fast passage of this piece of legislation, the Greenville News printed that Florida will have to look around for another state tree. Florida's own discussions did continue to stall thanks to worries that the designation would add extra protections to a tree that was economically important, as well as attention being diverted to World War II. Finally, in the 1950s, the topic was brought up in earnest once more, and the women of the garden clubs pushed hard for the sable palm. One unnamed lawmaker was allegedly told by his wife that he shouldn't bother coming home if that sable palm bill didn't pass. And so pass it did, and the state tree was made official. Now, while one issue was resolved, the matter of the wrong palm being on the state seal sat unmentioned for another 15 years. Enough botanists pointed out the discrepancy that in 1970, a bill finally passed that would change the seal to replace the coconut palm with the sable palm, with the reasoning that their official government documents really should feature the state tree if they're going to have a tree at all. But that wasn't the end of the issue, because for another 15 years, no one actually bothered to design a new state seal that featured the right palm. Finally, in 1985, the Museum of Florida History was tasked with the redesign. But no artist was involved in the process, as artists could not be trusted to maintain botanical accuracy and ensure that the tree they drew truly depicted a specific species. So instead, they took a black and white image of a sable palm that stood outside the Capitol building in Tallahassee, covered the background with whiteout, and Xeroxed the tree's image onto the state seal design, which gives Florida the only state seal in the U.S. to not just depict a specific tree species, but a specific individual tree. Now, Florida's issue with the cabbage palm has been settled. Or has it? In the modern day, arguments about the sable palm have resurfaced, this time focusing on whether or not it's actually a tree. This topic came up in recent years when the community of West Palm Beach pushed for the increased planting of native Florida trees in order to combat climate change. So West Palm Beach residents started planting even more sable palms. After all, it's their state tree. 
But the Palm Beach County Commissioner and the manager of the Palm Beach County Office of Resilience and Climate Change are trying to stop this activity because, they argue, palms are missing something that other trees have to actually help with climate change, the ability to sequester carbon on a large scale. Trees and other plants take in carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and release oxygen. When they take in that carbon, they hold onto or sequester it for a very long time. Because the massive increase in carbon dioxide being released into the atmosphere thanks to modern human industry has heavily contributed to our planet warming, we need forests now more than ever to suck that carbon dioxide back in. Palms, as plants, simply don't store carbon in the same way quote-unquote normal trees do. Despite how I previously weighed in on the tree-or-not issue, that's a pretty solid argument to not call the sable palm a tree. And as you can imagine, Floridians who are aware of the issue are upset about the possibility of less palms in their neighborhood, especially with the reason being climate change. But here's the thing. The government is not going to come knocking on your door and take your palms away. That's not what this is about. It's okay if Florida plants more of its other beautiful native oaks and pines instead of palms. More of the former does not mean a disappearance of the latter. Besides, there is simply too much love for the sable palm to realistically see it leaving Florida's landscape. Florida and South Carolina and anyone else that dreams of a relaxing vacation hammocking under palm trees on a beach will continue celebrating the palmetto. It is a feature that helps anyone connect with the unique and iconic cultures of these coastal destinations. Last week, I started a new series of bonus videos on my Patreon called Tree Walks with Thomas. I took my patrons to a nearby pond, and we looked at the differences between white pines and red pines, as well as how spruces are a different thing altogether. These tree walks will be available from my tree hugger tier on alternating Tuesdays between episodes, so subscribers will have fun tree content on every Tree Tuesday. You can join them or just hop into my more affordable seedling tier for early episodes and production updates at patreon.com slash myfavoritetrees. And in a couple weeks, I'll be once again checking in with a tree featured on the Celtic Oum calendar. The Scots Pine is a European evergreen that is held sacred on the day after the winter solstice. But I've chosen to instead talk about it around the start of spring, as I feel its symbolism of looking forward in the path of life is something that can be just as important when the weather starts to feel warm and comfortable again. Hopefully April 4th brings that more comfortable weather when I discuss a disappearing ecosystem, how this foreign tree became the star of American Christmas, and why it's viewed unfavorably down in New Zealand. I want to thank all of you for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed it, please consider leaving a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to help us grow. The music is by Academy Garden. You can find more of their awesome stuff at academygarden.bandcamp.com. My cover art is by at BoomerangBrit on Instagram. And my script editor and social media manager is the wonderful Lori Hilburn. Find me on Twitter and Facebook at MyFavoriteTrees or on Instagram at TreePodcast. You can support me directly by joining my Patreon at patreon.com slash myfavoritetrees or donate directly to a sustainable organization like the ones found on my website, mftpodcast.com. 
Now, go find a tree that you love and give it a hug.